deliver it tonight, today. And if you could turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 18, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances. To walk therein, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments. And if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Amen, amen. If we could lay our Bibles down before we get into the Word, let's lift our voices, lift them up to Him, our Heavenly Father. We love You and we thank You. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Master. Hallelujah. I praise your name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. The title of my message this afternoon is The Generational Language of the Church. The Generational Language of the Church. If you'll bear with me. This may be a Bible lesson preaching, I don't know. I'm just going to deliver the Word of God and let the Word fall. You'll probably find some things that I had referenced before, a thought that God had placed on my heart, and uh, you'll see some familiarity, but we're going to help us go somewhere today. Amen. We find that God, in Deuteronomy, in our text, God is establishing a moral compass. And the text for the lesson today it's pulled from the beginning of the moral standards that start in chapter 18 and it goes into chapter 22, verse 33. We find the book of Leviticus is the sequel to Exodus where the Lord brought the children of Israel to the place where the tabernacle could be built. And the Lord established the law by which they were to be governed and the expected conduct of Israel. And they were God's chosen people. And we see in the opening text that we have today the Lord is establishing a standard of conduct. Or if I could say it this way, as I said already, God established a moral compass. For Israel, as He speaks to Moses and provides a list of instructions for a holy conduct, and the Lord brings back to their memory the places that He had brought Israel from and then instructs them not to exhibit their behavior. He says, after the things, after the land, doing of the, in the land of Egypt, shall ye not do. He talks about of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. And neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. And God made it crystal clear that they were not to conform to the morality of the places they had been and to adopt the holy behavior that He had established. 
Our lives are lived complex as we are formed by life experiences. However, God shows us the right path for us to walk. And that does not mean that at any time that we can reject His ordinances and expect to have the blessing of God. As a matter of fact, until you submit yourself to God and the authority in your life, there will be something called God's will that will be elusive from you. Until you find yourself submitted to God and to the ministry and the authority of pastor, you will never find God's will because you will be struggling with your own will against the will of God. And if you are seeking peace with men and your circumstances, you will never have peace in your life until you have peace with God. It is that trust in the process that God can give you and then give you peace because He is the one who is piloting the ship of life. He is the one in control. We just sit there and ride in the ship, but we have the rudder that steers. We have the sails that blow and billow out and guide us down this path. God's will, He has one for every life, every one. But He has conditions for how He will lead and govern and guide our lives. If we will go to Leviticus chapter 19 and turn to verse 35, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35, this is a thought that I had previously mentioned before. It says, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight, or in measure, just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen shall ye have. And I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments, and do them. I am the Lord. The Lord instructed, further instructed them to handle their business with integrity. And they were to be honest in the methods by which they made business transactions. This was important because God knows that if He allowed them to make adjustments to the standards of measure, then He would call for a sacrifice and it would be under the modified unit of measure that they thought it should be. So he was not only taking a care of you, Brother Jerome, and how you would do business with Brother Andrew. And in, in, in the biblical times, we find that he was protecting the relationship between one another. But it also bled over to the house of God, because there were things that had to be sacrificed and measured out. That if you change the value of its weight you then shorted God. We see that God seen this from the very beginning and ordained it in His infinite wisdom. And if Israel were to self-regulate what a just weight was, then the weights of the sacrifice would not equal. The measure of sacrifice would be compromised, and the corruption would spoil the sacrificial process. What's more importantly you'll find is the ministry would not be adequately fed. The sacrifice would not meet God's expectations. And God has a very prescriptive process that we must follow to ensure that we are right in His eyes. And it still stands today, and we'll get to that in just a moment. We'll go through just a few more verses of Scripture to lay 
a foundation in Proverbs chapter 11, and we're not going to touch every one of them that talk about uh, the, the weights and measures that are referenced and laid down through the Levitical law. But we find in Proverbs chapter 11, it says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Flipping over to Amos chapter 8, I want to pull a phrase out of uh, this uh, verse of Scripture that we'll read in verse 5 and 6. It says, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the more the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. We find when they talk about this, when will the new moon be gone? In Barnes notes, he referenced this and says that they kept their festivals, though the weary and impatient, though though weary and impatient for their clothes, they kept the Sabbath and the festivals with their bodies, but not with their minds. We find that God was not wanting just lip service, nor was He wanting just for us to look the part, but He wanted us to have the part inside of our hearts. A just weight was there to ensure the moral compass did not shift and take advantage of anyone. Even though they talk about uh, shorting people and, and getting gain for those that were selling of goods and, and being able to get the advantage, sell it at a rate that took more from those that were come in need. And God does not want us to take from the poor and give to the rich. He just wants everybody to give the same. And He lays out that foundation. Don't worry, I'm not going to be talking about tithe today. You can breathe a sigh of relief. And God does not want His Word modified in any way to accommodate what the flesh deems necessary. The Bible says to come all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are no exceptions, and we cannot change the plan of salvation to appease the masses, making it easier for some to stay in church and harder for those that want to come in from the world uh, to lay down things that they feel like they're attached to. We cannot modify the Word of God to our benefit and not for the benefit of others. That's why God has laid out a just weight through truth. It is described of what we must do to be saved. And it's one that's laid out and it's measured. And you know what? Through all of time, it's balanced. It hasn't changed. It hasn't been modified. We cannot place burdens upon somebody because we have an issue. And it makes it harder for them to serve God. And we are the ones who benefit and vice versa. A just weight is the delight of God. And there is a just weight of truth. God has established a church, a church that is called out of a world of sin, and He is the gatekeeper of the purity of the bride of Christ. And He gives the Word of God to us each and every service and anoints Bishop to preach the Word of God and the ministry to come to the sacred desk and pour out what God has laid on their heart and it's all to weigh out the checks and balances. Every time we come to the house of God, we get up to the scale of what God has laid before us. And He wants to ensure, as I lay out truth, and we put our all, 
We need to make sure that it balances and it doesn't tip more that truth has now become uh, diminished in our life and we've shaved off a little bit of that weight because it took too much out of our life. It was too heavy for us to carry or we thought it'd be more convenient if we had a different metal or a way to measure versus stone and metal and, and wood. We would we change things up to our benefit. But he maintains the purity of the church through a watchman, a pastor, to ensure that the church is preserved and conducting themselves to his holy ordinances. Can somebody say amen? One of the major injustices that happen when the congregation tries to dictate what is a just weight and use their own opinion to justify shaving the weight. And we would never stand for a gas station if we were to go there and pump fuel and if they were to water down the fuel and we would say, well, I have bad gas. And, or we would say, uh, we go to uh, a gas station and we say, I paid for a gallon. It said a dollar. What are we paying now? What is it? Uh, Two fifteen or whatever it was at Sam's the other day when we drove by there. And, but if they gave me a half a gallon, I didn't get what I paid for. And we would go to management. We'd say, listen, this is inaccurate. If you were to go up to your, the gas pump and you would see all the safety seals broken around the outside saying, sealed for your protection, last calibrated on this date, we would have an issue with it. But we as the church must hold truth to where it is absolute, it cannot be shaved down. It cannot be watered down. We can't say, Pastor, make it a little different so this family will come into church. Or make it a little easier for them to feel included. Truth has to stand upon its own. It has to stand through time. It has to be proclaimed from generation to generation. Truth is not to make you feel comfortable. Truth is a change agent. Anytime truth is applied, there is a positive impact. And just as the way to measure, people would not short the priests and the priests would not overtax the people. We find the first fruits, the tithe, the tenth are all clear units of measure. And we read in Scripture in the Gospel message, we find where it asks us and commands us, I should say, to do certain things in order for us to find God. Peace, mercy, love, the blood that was talked about just a moment ago in song. We must follow a very prescriptive path. It is not something that you as a person can modify on your own because you think you know a better treatment. It is our sinful, our human nature to try to adjust the weight of sin and try to justify the impact and reduce the judgment in our mind. But you must remember, sin is a perpetual motion of misery. Once it starts, you're in it until intentional acts are made to stop sin. It does not happen by accident. The field of motion, when we find if you have a negative and positive and you have them bouncing back and forth, those little sharper image, the little desk toys, you get it going, eventually it'll come to a stop. Sin doesn't stop on its own. Sin, sin doesn't say, all right, I'm good for now. I've had my run in your life. I'm going to leave you alone. But you're going to have to fight to stop the motion of sin. It doesn't gradually slow. It doesn't gradually become more impactful to your life. 
it'll sit there and destroy and burn down and, and reach down into your life and scar and wound deeper and deeper and deeper until time has ceased in your life. That's what sin does. If a measure of sin is viewed as insignificant and non-impactful, then the mind is deceived and the heart is stuck in misery. We find when we look at something, and I want to just take a short detour talking about something, so forgive uh, the, what I'm about to say here, maybe a little um, lighthearted, but I want us to talk about this for a second. And you can listen to how someone speaks and know the general language uh, where they are from. And some dialects can be researched down to the exact village. There are people that live on the East Coast um, that have such a unique dialect that it's down to that specific fishing village, Pastor, where they know when they hear them talk, the words they say, they know exactly where they are from. The church is different in that we speak a heavenly language, but it's not only the only identifier. The actions of people help identify where you belong. And in you and I have could give you countless examples where people have walked up to you and say, hey, do you go to this person's church? And they may not know you, but you just look the part. Because we have the DNA of the truth church all over us. When we walk into, even amongst other apostolics, you can look at them and say, well, they go to Brother Rowley's, they go to Brother Dudley's, they go to this person's church. And you can begin to tell based upon their appearance. And I found it interesting, and I was doing some research last year, and this thought stuck in my mind. And you can go back and, and look at this, and the reason why I thought it was interesting, because it struck a chord with me. I was looking at some dialects over on the East Coast, and it was people that were from the Appalachian Mountain Range, or Appalachian, if you want to say it that way, um, where you begin to look at how they talk and how they um, conduct themselves. I found it interesting, on down in this research paper, they said that that language, the way they speak, has migrated over to the Ozark Mountain range and, and origin and where they've come down into Arkansas and became a part of their culture. And they begin to list off all these words that had went from one mountain people to the next mountain people. And I know that... Um, I know where my family and my mother's side comes from. They're down from Ozark, live in Ozark, Arkansas, and they have um, a town that they take us through. I remember as a young man, a teenager, where we all went out one day, and we drove way out into the forest, the Ozark National Forest, drove way out there, and my grandmother got out of the, uh, the truck, and she walked up, and she says, I planted this tree on George Washington's birthday, and we're in the middle of an absolute forest, you can't tell any tree from any different from any others. She says, I was a girl, and I got down with my mother, and we planted this tree. And she says, the reason I know that is because there's the stone foundation from the house. And we lived up here, and this was a logging community way, way, miles and miles back in the forest. And, and she says, I come here from time to time just for memories. And after that, we drove down next to, I believe it's the White River, and we pulled up to a cemetery that is protected, and it's got all these ancient, ancient graves. And I begin to understand this is where this family's from, deep, deep in the woods 
of the Ozark Mountains. And I begin to reflect back on words I grew up hearing and things that I heard. And then I began to ask questions when I was younger. What does grandma mean when she says this? What does grandpa or aunt and uncle or cousin? And there's a list of words. And, and I begin to hear from both sides of my family, my on the Gulf side, they're from Little Rock, Arkansas, and Levy, and Mayflower, and that region where most of them are from, and they would say things like Irish, meaning a little cool, or bleeding like a stuck hog, or maybe like where Brother Hilton said, uh, Lord willing, if the creek don't rise. And you would hear some of these terms, and you'd wonder, what in the world are they thinking? What are they saying? And it wasn't just, if I could say this, it wasn't just on occasion you would hear words like this. This was the language they talked about cleaning your clock or catty corner or uh, diddly squat or frady hole or gummed up or gussied up, hive nor hair, kivers, lollygag. And you would say, what did you just say? And I began to get tuned in to that as I began to grow up. And we were down in Arkansas visiting family. And, and there were times that I, people would ask me, uh, where was I from? And I would say, well, I was born and raised in Kansas City. Even though I was born just a few minutes from this very church, people would say, where are you from? I had an influence in my life. I had an influence of family from Arkansas, and I had an influence of family when I was down in Arkansas. A lot of my family being from the South, I began to pick up the way they were speaking. And through, it was more than just, uh, just you know, I, I could actually say it and understand it, and they could say it, and I would understand it. And I would be drawn to things and listen to old-time radio shows like Lum and Abner and know exactly what they were saying in the jot them down store. And these were passed on from generation to generation. As a parent, we have moments with our children where we begin to pick up on something that was said. And we may say this very word, where did you learn that? Who taught you how to talk like that? And we begin to drill down into the source of influence. With the right questions and persistence, you're able to locate the source. And the very same thing happens in an apostolic church. The way you pray, how you worship, how you learn the Word, what kind of preaching you were drawn towards, and we can go on down and on down. The generation has been passed down, how the language of the church is passed down from one generation to the next. And it gets learned and taught and picked up and sent down to the next generation. And they learn it and pick it up and it means something. They can talk that language and they begin to understand the generational language of the church. And there are certain uh, sentiments or certain things that must be said and proclaimed from every generation. And first and foremost is the teaching of the doctrine of Jesus Christ through the death, burial, and the resurrection we find that we must also reinforce the, the promise of, of God towards sinners and His children. And then we must follow up with how essential the church is to maintain the language of the church. It's through the preaching of truth. And that is how we preserve the generational language of the church. We find that we learn things that we do not understand and we begin to question and you begin to ask the questions, but with patience, you'll understand what it means. The method of salvation has not changed, regardless of how many people have experienced it. When Jesus Himself revealed the method of salvation to the apostles, 
There was no liberty for them to be to interpret the method or make changes. It was important because God had called them to a place in time. So when they went somewhere and did what He bid them to do, He knew what would be presented to those around them. Just as important as it is for this church, we have the generational language of the church. When someone comes back to the house of God, we must have truth still being preached. We still must sing songs about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. They must let the language of the church resonate within their ears and it touch the hearts no matter how long you've been gone from church or how new you are to the house of God. There is a language that must be stated. We cannot take and twist and conform. Make the pastor a hireling. We can make people, we can pay people to tell us that you feel good. You can get on the internet and pay someone to tell you words that make you feel good, but it will not last. You can spend every dollar in your bank account, and you can go to Walmart every day and empty your checking account every day to make you feel good, but you just bought a bunch of junk. That's all you did, and it's going to be so empty and so void. But the rich in heart, this is what they do. They run to the house of God. Because there's a language that's taught, that's said, that's sang, that's put in deep within our hearts that the angels cannot sing, glory, hallelujah, in Christ I have been redeemed. The generational language of the church. It may sound simple in the examples I gave leading up to this point, but Jesus himself took the time to give his followers a language lesson. Pastors taught on this, and for those that's been around the Truth Church for a period of time, all of this is going to be old hat. So just bear with me. Luke chapter 24, verse 45 through 49. Then opened he their understanding that they may, might understand the Scriptures. Jesus made sure they were understanding exactly what He wanted to convey to them. I remember as a young man, we'd drive down the road, be listening to the radio, and there would be a commercial come on and say, you want to learn Spanish or you want to learn a foreign language. And they'd try to get you to sign up for this uh, free language lesson or first couple lessons. And one of them would say, S-O-C-K-S. Oh, this is so simple. I think it was on KMBZ years and years and years ago. That's what it is. And they would try to make it sound so simple. But that's all the understanding I had. Jesus took the time to open their understanding not let them understand a few words, but that they may understand all the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, that but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The Bible shows how the revelation of Scripture was to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. We find a very familiar passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 12. And then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from a Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. We look at this verse of Scripture and we say, well, Who are they? 
In Acts chapter 1 and 13, it tells us exactly who it was. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. And there and where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and, and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and S Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. All of these people were there. They are the ones who received the understanding from Jesus Christ. They are the ones who He gave them the language they should then convey. The words they should then share going forward. And while they're waiting at Jerusalem, in the upper room, we see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So we see by them obeying exactly what Jesus Christ Himself had given to them, we find in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we see the New Testament church begin to catch on fire and be launched into place. And just as they were being mocked in the street, and the Apostle Peter standing up with the eleven, and now including Matthias, stands in front and confronts the crowd and begins to preach unto them, the revelation that Jesus Christ had given each of the, the apostles. And Peter was surrounded by a group of witnesses. And we found that in Acts chapter 2 and 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. We find it acted out, the very same thing that Jesus had conveyed to the apostles they begin to tell others about in Acts chapter 2. In the first part of it, we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. It's the repentance that Jesus talked about. And the baptism, baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's exactly what Jesus pointed out. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the promise of the Father. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He reinforced the fact there is a language of the church. And this is your very first lesson. He's telling the Gentiles, listen, there's something I want you to learn and put it deep down in your heart. And it's not just for you, but I want you to tell it to your children and to all that are far off, so that there would be this place in time so that we could stand here and read the very same verses of Scripture. And the language of the church resonates through thousands of years, and it's truth. It still changes lives. The language of the church. It's something that must be passed on from generation to generation. You can't stop it. There's nothing the devil can do to hinder the church to keep truth from being proclaimed. We are, we are a part of that. Because truth has went through every form of, uh, of people trying to keep the church down and cutting people's heads off and burning books and Bibles and scrolls and manuscripts and destroying the Word of God. Yet, it's intact before us today. The generational language of the church.
goes on to say, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. The language was so strong, truth was so impactful, that they gladly received his word, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We see that regardless of however many people that have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Spirit, it cannot change. Now you can go look at times and things that have been impacted over time. People who have circumnavigated the globe, it is improved over time. By plane in 1924, it took 175 days for them to circumnavigate the globe. It took eight U.S. Army service pilots and mechanics. The current record that we have today is 44 hours and six minutes, set in 1980. By boat, to circumnavigate the earth, by boat, took three years and one month, and that was set in the year 1519. The current record is 40 days, 23 hours, 30 minutes, and 30 seconds, a record that was set in January 2017. We see that the mark has continued to change and evolve in just that one example. But with truth, it cannot change. Just, it doesn't matter however many people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't take away. It doesn't make it easier. You still have to fight through a life of sin. You still have to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. You still have to be buried in a watery grave through the baptismal tank. You still have to be filled through the evidence of speaking in tongues as the men of God done, as Jesus shared with them and told them to do in Luke chapter 24. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7 through 8 says, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. For I the Lord God, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. We know that there are options that are placed in closing this afternoon. There are options that are put in place of each and every one. Life is just a big buffet. What do you want out of it? We can make choices and we can walk up and we can grab things from the buffet of life. And you can settle you can sit there and bypass the steak and say, I want seafood. I can grab macaroni and cheese, lasagna, salad. But here what, here's what it is in life. You can say, oh, church is not for me, or church is for me. Or you can put conditions and say, church is for me if it does this. But here's one thing I want everyone to understand. We all pay the same price. We all pay the same price. There are no children's meals. There are no deeply discounted plates. We all pay the same price through eternity. It's all, it's all in Him. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 as we stand this afternoon. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But there's something that's so beautiful that's available for each and every one of us. I'd like to take us 
through a few more verses of Scripture. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 22, it says, Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, Ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Don't settle for what people before you have done. They've tried to influence and make you do certain things. And they've tried to say, oh, well, the church is not real. All they want is your money. All they want is your number and attendance so they can count you as a part of their membership. No, no, no. Before you is a land that you can inherit, that you can walk into, and you can see the blessings of God. It's all on how you see it. But you must keep His statutes. You must speak the language of the church. You must hold yourself to a standard that says, no, no, I'm not going to be like the people before me. Just because my mama and daddy was this way doesn't mean I'll be this way. Just because my husband's this way doesn't mean I'll be that way. Just because my children are that way doesn't mean that I'm going to follow in their footsteps. Because there's a land that's promised to me. It's flowing with milk and honey. And He separated you through a calling to step up and learn the language of the church that goes from this generation to the next. From this generation to the next. The life that God has called you out of is not the path that you need to return to to find any satisfaction in life. Not one day on the path that you have lived to this date will save your soul. But you have to follow after Him. You have to get on the path of life that God has chosen for you. The straight and narrow. The way that reaches down to the heart of men and says, listen, if you'll just follow me, if you'll just follow me, I can change your life. That is the way that God wants us to walk in. And people can say, well, the other church that I used to go to said, I only need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I only then just need to be a good person. They have changed the weight of God's Word. They have modified truth to make it more in your favor so it doesn't challenge you. It doesn't make you more like Him. And every decision we make in life, if it doesn't push you closer to Christ, you're only, you're only feeding the desires of the flesh. And before you know it, you'll look and you say, what have I become? Because it is not what He has desired of my life. The last verse of Scripture this afternoon, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. There's a language of the church. It starts with forgiveness. 
It starts with asking God, I want you to change my life. Turn me around. It starts with repentance. Just as Jesus Himself taught it to the disciples. As they stood there and began to understand exactly what He was telling them, they began, the apostles, they then got up and began to teach everyone around them and gave them the language that God Himself had ordained from the very beginning of time that He would send down Himself and say, listen, I'm going to sacrifice Myself to teach them a language. I'm going to lift them up into heavenly places by teaching them a language they can't learn on their own through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the infilling, and we begin to speak in tongues as He gives the utterance. The language of the church. Can we lift our hands and magnify Him today? God, You know the Word. You know the souls. You know the heart, God. You know, God, what this Word was meant for somebody's life today. And God, we lift it up to You. We ask, God, that You reach down and minister in their heart today, God. We ask You lift them out of a life of sin and shame. Reach down and change them, God. We love You today. We worship You, Master. God, You have given us many blessings in this life. But one thing we hold to, God, You have given us Your love, Your mercy, God, Your forgiveness. It flows in this house. The house of bread. Let's talk to Him today, saints. Hallelujah. We lift them up to You, God. Every need in this house. Every need, God, present in those to come. Prepare our hearts, God, that we may be ready for in those that walk through the back doors, God, they find the language of the church being proclaimed. Truth, God, not being diminished. The Word of God reaching down to the lives of those that are miserable and lost without You. All those that are heavy burdened, God, it rests upon their shoulders. We ask You to reach for them today, God. Touch them, Master, in a special way. Let conviction rest upon them, Master. We love You, Jesus. We love You, Jesus. Can we just find us a place to pray?